Produced at the studios of KBOO Radio in Portland, Oregon. This is Free Culture Radio. The Addictions Drug and Alcohol Institute. That really ought to be alcohol and other drugs. It's a little early for a digression. My apologies. Anyway... The Addictions Drug and Alcohol Institute at the University of Washington has issued a new report entitled Unmet Needs, Complex Motivations, and Ideal Care for People Using Fentanyl in Washington State, a qualitative study. To discuss the report and its recommendations, I'm joined by two of the co-authors, Teresa Winstead, Ph.D., a research scientist at CEDAR, and Allison Newman, MPH, a programs operations specialist at CEDAR. Uh, Actually, before we get started, could you... um, if I could get you to introduce yourselves, tell us a bit about yourself so that way people can put voices to names. Hi, I'm Allison Newman. I'm a health educator at the University of Washington Addictions Drug and Alcohol Institute. And we we used to be the Alcohol and Drug Abuse Institute, but we, we have changed our name to get rid of the word abuse. Um, I focus on overdose prevention education and health care access for people who use drugs. And I really work on it from a public health approach to the overdose crisis, meaning my focus is on preventing death and improving quality of life. Hello, thanks for having us, Doug. Um, my name is Teresa Winstead, and I'm an anthropologist by training um, and have a, an applied focus in my research, which for about the last seven years or so has focused on harm reduction and health for people who are using substances. Um, in addition to being a research scientist at IUW's ADAI, um, I am also an associate professor of anthropology and sociology at St. Martin's University. Thank you both for joining me. And, uh, and well, at least your institute is doing better than the feds. It's, you know, National Institute on Drug Abuse, the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. We have so much work to do in terms of getting rid of stigma. But um, let's get back to the subject. Before we get started on the, about the report, could you give us a little information about the Institute and, and about CEDAR? Sure. Um, ADAI is an interdisciplinary research institute that's located in the UW's School of Medicine, um, and it was established in 1973. And it's a part of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences um, with uh, a mission to advance research, policy, and practice in order to improve the lives of individuals and communities that are affected by alcohol and drug use and addiction. We're part of a team at ADAI called the Center for Community Engaged Drug Education, Epidemiology and Research, or CDIR. And our work really tries to join research with the real world to generate innovative, evidence-based and person-centered responses to the use of opioid stimulants and other illicit substances. We really wanna collect and share knowledge from research, data, clinical expertise, and personal lived experience of people who use drugs as a way to improve health and systems for for that group of people. A lot of our work is focused on overdose prevention, treatment for people with opioid and stimulant use disorder, harm reduction, and just overall health improvement. Let's get into the report. Again, the title, Unmet Needs, Complex Motivations, and Ideal Care for People Using Fentanyl in Washington State, a Qualitative Study. What did you look at? Oh, and you know, for the benefit of listeners who may not be familiar, what is a qualitative study? Ah, a good question. Um, a qualitative study, this really comes out of sort of the history of research and the need for 
distinguishing between types of studies comes from sort of the history of research being defined as quantitative, right? And in, in its kind of, you know, sort of origins. Um, so qualitative work really focuses on the stories that people share about their own experiences. So it's it's um, word-based instead of numbers-based. Um, it really focuses in this case for this study and, and in general as well on, you know, what what people sort of share about their lives, their their own lived experiences versus numerical kind of research. The reason for the research really comes out of uh, recognition that fentanyl is causing way too many overdose deaths, entirely preventable um, overdose deaths. And so we wanted to talk with people who are currently using fentanyl to help identify their needs, explore what kind of care they um, have received, what kind of care they might want um, to help support their health. So that's sort of the broadly defined purpose of the research. We also wanted to understand how people are using drugs right now and the current context of how they're using. A lot has changed in the last few years with the introduction of fentanyl into Washington's drug supply. And there was a lot that we didn't really know about how and why people were using. So we asked people to talk about why they're using fentanyl, the benefits and drawbacks that they see related to it, and really how that fit into their life and also what may have changed in the last few years for them. In total, we talked to 30 people who were all Washington State Syringe Services Program participants. We uh, did interviews in four cities. And just to give you a quick idea of more or less who we talked to, um, just over half or 53% of participants were white and 73% were male or men. Um, the average age was 37 and only 13% of the people we talked to reported having stable housing. So most of the people, you know, almost three quarters were unhoused. So really talking to a group of people who were having some pretty significant challenges. So the people we talked to were using every day and that people had been using fentanyl for about the last 13 months. That was the average. People really talked about this big shift in the drug supply. Many people identified it as happening right around 2020. And so most people had started using fentanyl really in the last year or two. And these interviews were conducted in um, September 2022. So just to give you a little additional context. One quote that I think is really illustrative of the shift from heroin to fentanyl in the drug supply, one person said, it's a mess. But at the time, I thought it was a good idea switching from heroin to that, meaning fentanyl. It wasn't a good idea. I should have just stuck with heroin because I wasn't dying from heroin. Of course, market isn't, I mean, consumer, de consumer demand isn't really what drives the drug market. So that might have been a little tricky. But um, hmm. Yeah, most of the people we talked to you know, may not have started as using fentanyl on purpose, but at this point were because it was the opioid that was available to them at this point. So all the people we talked to were using fentanyl on purpose at this point, even if maybe that wasn't how it had started for them. And then the other big change that we saw was most people were smoking fentanyl rather than injecting it, which is a really big shift from how people were using heroin just a few years ago. People talked about smoking fentanyl because it was now easier because of fentanyl's potency, and then also smoking as a way to reduce their risk for overdose by being able to use in smaller amounts. So we, we know that people still can die from overdose 
from smoking fentanyl, but people perceived that it was a way to take more control and to be able to use a smaller dose potentially. I'm interested in some of the needs you identified among people you surveyed. So, so what are some of those needs and, and um, what are the barriers to, to actually meeting them now? Well, I think part of the context of this conversation about needs that the study really brings out is that about 70% of our participants wanted to stop or reduce their fentanyl use, but they saw many challenges um, in, you know, in their way of blocking their ability to do this. Um, we asked people to think about, um, to talk with us about the benefits and the drawbacks of their fentanyl use. And some of the top reasons that people um, were using fentanyl um, were physical pain relief. They um, also talked about mental health issues um, as a way to cope with uh, their housing insecurity, homelessness, and um, and really as a, a in a very basic sort of way, a concrete way to avoid withdrawal um, due to having dependence on, on fentanyl. So we can think about sort of the services that people want along with the reasons for using fentanyl. And I think, you know, they're sort of all entangled with each other. So yeah, just a lot of complicated reasons people are using fentanyl and reasons that they they see very clearly to continue to use fentanyl. And really Im important context is that fentanyl in comparison with heroin has a very short half-life and is very strong. So people may need to be using much more frequently to avoid withdrawal than they would have with heroin. And we, we may be seeing opioid use disorder, which is continuing to use despite negative consequences and intense craving. Um, we may be seeing that more uh, quickly with people using fentanyl than we would have with heroin or other opioids. So fentanyl has definitely made these needs more serious for people. And uh, one thing we did really see was people had logical reasons for using fentanyl. You know, people were using for the reasons Teresa identified, physical pain, coping with mental pain, coping with homelessness. So if we're not addressing those really basic essential needs as part of how we care for people, we're not going to help them reduce or stop their use, even if they want to. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that, you know, that's sort of the precursor to talking about the other needs that I think that you were mentioning, Doug, that, that we identified, you know, as we were talking to people, they talked about what they needed in terms of care and support, right? So outside of the, um, the reasons that they talked about for their fentanyl use, they talked about a lot of um, sort of basic needs that they that they needed support with in order to even think about stopping or reducing their fentanyl use. So, yeah, basic um, housing support, um, access to health insurance, real concrete access to care choices um, to help them with the substance use that they're struggling with. So, access to treatment of various kinds. And um, those are all sort of all part of the kind of um, a range of needs that people talked about in the in the interviews. You did ask about barriers, and people people did experience pretty significant barriers when they did try and get the help that they wanted and needed. Some of which were really basic things like transportation, not being able to make an appointment on time because they don't have a watch, healthcare access, limited care options where they are, just difficulty 
understanding what exists out there and what might work for them. So lack of knowledge or lack of knowledge for how to navigate the system. And then stigma certainly plays a big barrier where if people did try and reach out, maybe they had a negative experience. And we see specific barriers uh, around, you know, methadone has was something people were interested in, but that there were um, barriers to people talked about they missed the bus and then they they can't get their dose for the day or they the program is two and a half hours away from where they live. So for people who are listening, methadone is a very effective medication to treat opioid use disorder and um, prevent overdose death. It has a really rigid regulatory framework where many people have to go in once a day for their dose, at least initially. And that can pose a really big challenge for people who have um, chaotic lives or even who, who have not chaotic lives but have a job and aren't able to make it or who live in a rural area. So we people did identify some pretty serious barriers with accessing methadone, even if it was something that they were interested in. And there were a lot of people that expressed interest in methadone um, over the, uh, the course of the interviews. And so those barriers, I think, are part of what, um, you know, really listening to people who are currently using fentanyl, identifying those barriers and being able to, you know, to use those insights and um, and needs to help inform better care is, is what we're, we're hoping that uh, the study helps to uh, contribute. And an additional barrier that a few people identified was that fentanyl itself can get in the way of addressing these other issues, that the need to use fairly frequently in order to avoid withdrawal or in order to avoid physical pain got in the way of being able to do some of these other day-to-day things. So people identified that their fentanyl use was both um, helped cope with homelessness and was a driver of it because it made it difficult to do other other things in their life. I think there's a quote by one of our participants that that sort of gets at that that um, I can share um, just to help sort of give um, a little bit more um, sort of uh, perspective from the the interviewees themselves. Um, this participant said. I seek fentanyl out to numb myself, basically, because I'm 28 years old, but I've been through more than a 56-year-old woman. And it's really complicated because because there's certain certain stuff I'm blocking out that I'm not ready to deal with yet. But if I keep letting it destroy my life like this, I'm going to die within the next week. And I don't want, I don't want that to happen. So I called to get into treatment today. This is my conversation with Dr. Teresa Winstead and Allison Newman with the Center for Community-Engaged Drug Education, Epidemiology, and Research, and the Addictions, Drug, and Alcohol Institute at the University of Washington. They're two of the co-authors of a new report entitled Unmet Needs, Complex Motivations, and Ideal Care for People Using Fentanyl in Washington State, a Qualitative Study. We'll have more in a moment. You're listening to Free Culture Radio. I'm your host, Doug McVeigh. So I can talk about some of the services that people did want. Um, You know, we talked about a lot of the barriers, but a positive is people, almost everyone did want some kind of service or help and could identify something they were interested in. So we did ask people, what services would you want if they were easy to get? And read them a long list of potential services, which is available in the write-up of this study. I'm not going to read it because it's about 20 items long. And even reading it in the survey was a lot. Um, But people talked about really wanting a diverse mix of different services. 
um, with really a priority for services that would meet their basic needs, like housing, cash assistance, phones. And people were also really interested in contingency management, which is an evidence-based approach for methamphetamine use disorder. May, we don't know yet whether it's effective for fentanyl, but where you incentivize someone to reach a specific health goal, whether that's engagement or not using a substance, but they get a small cash prize or the potential for a cash prize. And that's contingency management. And we know it's very effective for methamphetamine and was of interest to this group of people for fentanyl use. Um, people were also really interested in harm reduction services like kit kits, fentanyl test strips. Some people expressed being interested in having access to a regulated supply of opioids, sort of also called safe supply, um, community drug checking. And people were generally, like more than half of people were interested in medications for opioid use disorder, which are buprenorphine and methadone, and for some people naltrexone. And people had the lowest level of interest or highest level of ambivalence in more traditional forms of substance use disorder treatment, such as um, inpatient or counts, um, substance use disorder counseling. And so we really think uh, programs in order to reach people need to offer a diverse mix of services that address all of these different needs. So it really will have to be tailored to each person and um, really address their their body and their mind and their soul. People talked about wanting like a sense of purpose and also just a space where they felt accepted and not judged. What are some of your, recomm what are some of your recommendations here? As you mentioned one of them, of course, the, you know, considering, uh, considering safer supply. I think one of the things that came out as we completed this analysis is that this is obvious for anyone who knows what's happening related to overdose numbers in Washington and elsewhere, but important just the same um, is that people who are using fentanyl are really in a life and death situation um, right now. And that in terms of policy implications, that means that um, we need to treat this as the public health crisis that it is. And that um, relatedly, the shift in supply to fentanyl necessitates adaptation of the support systems in place um, in terms of housing and emergency and other medical care, treatment access and the other supports um, that we identified that are currently not attuned to the realities of, uh, of fentanyl use. One thing that we know just in general and really came out strongly in this report is that fentanyl is very variable. And what that means is sometimes people would have fentanyl that was barely enough to remove their withdrawal symptoms. And sometimes it was enough to cause an overdose and, you know, either have that reversed or for someone to die. So we're seeing people who have experienced more overdoses than previously, either for themselves or in their community. You know, every time they use, there's a chance that they could die from, from using. So this, as Teresa said, it really is a life or death situation. We need to take this very, very seriously. We had a doubling in overdose deaths in Washington state just in four years, which is a really rapid escalation. So trying to listen to the things we heard from people and take those seriously, because they had very concrete ideas about what would work there. It's not anything that takes magic or any kind of new developments. We have the tools that are out there to deal with this. There just has to be um, a scale up of the systems that work and expanding that kind of work. In terms of kind of healthcare, thinking about, 
you know, how to support um, people that are currently using fentanyl, especially the population that we talk to, um, increasing access to low barrier care, right? So care that actually can be accessed by by folks who, who again, have maybe pretty chaotic life circumstances. Um, really investing in accessible care um, that doesn't have this sort of kind of carceral feeling, right? That isn't controlling and um, and and has like low level stigma um, embedded in it, right? So we want um, accessible low barrier care um, that's compassionate and supportive and um, identifies that what folks are navigating is a significant challenge and so receives them with care and compassion because of that. So that non-judgmental, holistic, and I think in our discussions with folks about ideal care, we heard from people that they wanted care that was, you know, homey, comfy, sort of, and there's a warmth to it, not a, not a sort of clinical, um, medical, your traditional clinical medical environment. So I think, you know, our healthcare system could, um, could learn a lot from what our interviewees shared about what they need. My favorite word that was used more than once was cozy. People want a care that was cozy. And I think a lot of us want that. So Absolutely. <laughs> the, one of our other sort of recommendations, policy implications, is to really ramp up distribution of safer smoking supplies for two-pronged reasons. One is so that you're engaging people who smoke. We're seeing not as many people inject, but it's really important that we are providing care and services to people who smoke drugs. So providing safer smoking supplies is a really key and evidence-based way to reach people. And the other piece is so that people can be as healthy as possible while they're using substances. And safer smoking supplies are a really important piece of this. The other piece that we sort of touched on was to consider safe supply. I mean, if you think about how variable fentanyl it is, we wouldn't allow that for something like alcohol, where if you take one drink, you're fine. And if it's another drink, you're going to die. Like, that's pretty unacceptable. And it's something to consider how, how we can provide people um, with opioids that don't kill them. So where they have less variability and, you know, if we're going to take this seriously, we need to consider all options. Again, folks, we're speaking with Teresa Winston, PhD, research scientist at CDIR, and Allison Newman, MPH, program operations specialist at CDIR. They're two of the co-authors of a report entitled Unmet Needs, Complex Motivations, and Ideal Care for People Using Fentanyl in Washington State, a qualitative study. Anyway, do you have any closing thoughts for the listener? I think one of the things for us that that we hope that people are able to garner from from the report is that people are really struggling. People that are using fentanyl are that people we spoke to are really struggling, and they describe their fentanyl use as a rational response to the combination of their social reality and their practical access to care, and that we when we sort of take all we've learned together, we can say pretty clearly that fentanyl use exacerbates and complicates the gap between what people want and what they need and what's available to support their health. So we need urgently uh, policy action to address the challenge 
and the circumstances that fentanyl use is creating for way too many people right now. And I want people to take away that this is a fixable problem. This is something that we can address and that a lot of different organizations in Washington and nationwide are working really, really hard to address. There are a lot of caring people working on the overdose crisis. And what we need is to increase funding for those organizations, allow them to be able to be more flexible, reach more people, have more staffing, and really support harm reduction organizations and other organizations that work with people who use drugs um, so that we can really turn the tide on this and you know start to bring that death rate down. Um, we know what works even with fentanyl. Uh, we just need to be doing it more and faster. I just want to have a big thank you to our co-authors, um, Dr. Caleb Bantagreen and Everett Maroon, who Everett is a master's in public health student, but Everett's also a very special master's in public health student. He is also the executive director of Blue Mountain Heart to Heart in Walla Walla, Washington, which is an organization that provides HIV case, case management and um, syringe services, as well as other health services in that area. And then a big shout out to the syringe services programs who partnered with us to do these interviews. They do wonderful work and we were only able to talk to the people we did because of like the trust and existing relationships that they had with the people we spoke with. And then a huge thank you to our participants for sharing their insights and experiences and um, all of their knowledge. And it, I would also just end with um, if you yourself are using fentanyl or you have a friend or loved one who is, there are options out there. Um, methadone and buprenorphine are highly effective at reducing someone's risk of dying. Um, they are accessible in many places. Um, in Washington, we have the Washington Recovery Helpline, which has a website where you can click around and find options for accessing those medications near you. And even if it's something you don't feel ready for at this time, there are steps people can take to be healthier. So just trying to focus on one day at a time, one step at a time, and, and people do get better, do improve their health, do improve their opportunities. That was my conversation with Dr. Teresa Winstead and Allison Newman with the Center for Community-Engaged Drug Education, Epidemiology, and Research and the Addictions, Drug, and Alcohol Institute at the University of Washington. They're two of the co-authors of a new report entitled Unmet Needs, Complex Motivations, and Ideal Care for People Using Fentanyl in Washington State, a Qualitative Study. Find that report and many more resources at the website adai.uw.edu. That's adai.uw.edu. And finally, August 31st is International Overdose Awareness Day. IOAD is an annual event. It's the world's largest annual campaign to end overdose, remember without stigma those who have died from overdose, and acknowledge the grief of the family and friends left behind. The theme for International Overdose Awareness Day 2023 is Recognizing Those People Who Go Unseen, which is about acknowledging people in our communities who are affected by overdose but might go unseen in the crisis. You can find information about International Overdose Awareness Day at the website overdoseday.com. That's overdoseday.com. And for now, that's it. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Free Culture Radio. I've been your host, Doug McVeigh. 
Thank my guests, Dr. Teresa Winstead and Allison Newman from ADAI and CDEAR. Many thanks to everyone out there fighting for civil rights, human rights, and social justice. And thanks especially to you, dear listener, for your support. You make it all worth it. And you make it all possible. Free Culture Radio is a volunteer production for community radio and syndicated via the Pacifica Foundation Radio Network's audio port service. Please support your local community radio station. Become a member. Become a volunteer. Theme music for Free Culture Radio is composed and performed by Tom Nickel and Four Dimensional Nightmare and is used with permission of the artist. Free Culture Radio is available as a podcast and direct download. Find links at the website kboo.fm slash freeculture. We'll be back in a month to continue our examination of drugs, drug cultures, and the influence of drugs on society. Thanks again for listening. This is Doug McVeigh saying so long. So long. So long.